Amen, amen. You guys need to know there's some beautiful things, beautiful things happening in our church, in your church. Um, some of you that consider yourselves new are starting to connect relationally. We just see a lot of beautiful things, some people coming back after a long time, uh, ministries happening, this initiative to become a praying church. Uh, in fact, as of today, you'll see um, that there are prayer boxes in the room. So you can go online, and now there is an army of people excited to pray for you, right? So you can do that online, or you can do that in the room. There's prayer boxes over here on the communion table where you can uh, fill out something if you have a prayer request. Um, it's, it's a really exciting time to see us begin to flourish as the body of Christ that he's called us to be. I told you last week that I would uh, give you a health update as I had a... I was sharing with you at the end of the message last week about an important scan I had on Monday and then got to talk to the doctor about that scan on Tuesday. I made the mistake of reading the scan before I talked to the doctor. And, you know, it's all in doctor language and I don't understand most of it, but I understand the bottom line. The bottom line, it said that my, it was a scan of my artery that had dissected that caused the stroke in November. And the, the bottom line was that my artery was partially healed, right? So I got on the call with the doctor and um, you know, how we doing? Good, fine. I said, so partially healed, huh? I said, he said, yeah, it looked great. I'm like, it's partially healed. Doesn't sound great. I said, maybe at the six month scan, we can get a fully healed. And he said, you know what? Honestly, I don't even know if we need to do a six month scan. I'm like, what are you talking about, doc? He said, if the outcome with a partially healed versus fully healed is no different. It's the same outcome. We're not really there's always going to be irregularity. What we're looking at is the blood flow. It's opened and the blood is flowing. That's what matters more than the, you know, how the artery is, if it's fully healed or not. What we need to see is the blood flow and the blood flow looks great. He used words like impressive and encouraged. And I was like, all right, doc, well, you've been telling me like I can't do anything strenuous, which has been really hard to define that word. What does strenuous mean? I said, so what does this scan change? And he said, at this point, I would have you on no restrictions. I said, I said, wait a second, what do you mean no restrictions? Just, I said, how can you say that? Just because of one scan? He said, well, the, the distance between the stroke and now, the time that's passed, the lack of symptoms you have, the scan and how, look, how good the artery looks, um, all those things. I said, well, I've been, uh, I've been trying hard. My wife's been on me because I'm coaching. We got a big tournament this week and I've been trying not to yell because they said that could be dangerous for me. And I said, so do I have to, should I be worried about yelling? He said, at this point, I wouldn't worry about that. I said, oh, I'm going to yell at those girls now, right? Um, so, so he continued to say, you can exercise, you can do stuff. Um, I mowed the yard yesterday, y'all. Half of it, at least. Um, now, some of you have been trying to come mow my yard, like most of my else's yard. I got it, all right? Um, he did say that uh, I couldn't do anything that would cause whiplash. I can't wrestle. Um, I can't uh, ride roller coasters. I can't, um, I can't, he told me not to ride horses, right? Um, but that was, uh, it was just a beautiful conversation. I'm going to be okay, right? And for a neurosurgeon who sees patients like me day in, day out and knows what he's talking about to say, I got no restrictions and I'm going to talk to the other doctor. Maybe we'll do a scan at six months, but maybe not because we, we see that you're even though the artery isn't fully healed, you're healing, right? And I feel that and I'm so thankful 
for your prayers. That's why this prayer initiative, so part of this started is I was, I've been so well prayed for and I'm not the only one in the church with issues. We want you to be well prayed for. It matters and I'm proof of it up here today. Um, there's a cliche. Um, one of uh, the kids on uh, Jackson's basketball team said this and, and, and the kids thought it was like a great statement. I think some of them thought that he may, came up with it. But have you ever heard the old cliche, the most, two most important days of your life, the day you're born and the day you figure out why? Right, so this, this high school kid said it and, and they thought, wow, that's deep. It's like he didn't come up, he didn't come up with that, but that's okay. All right, so today as we, as we close out this series of the God Who Still Speaks, um, maybe this is a day for you where God helps you figure out why you're here, why you exist, what you're about, what is the center. We just sang, like that song is so deep, right? Jesus being the center of our life. So we're gonna ask you to be pretty honest with yourself this morning about what is the center of your life. I bet you can think of somebody that you would say is self-centered, right? And I hate to do that because now you're thinking of somebody specific in your life, right? But, but the people that we would call that horrible phrase self-centered is no matter what's going on in the world or life, the conversation, it always comes back to them talking about themselves because that's first and foremost in their mind. I think this morning could be huge for some of us. It's been huge for me. This has helped me so much in my struggle, this simple um, statement and, and prayer. It came out in a prayer as I was just dealing with my own recovery and dealing with what's, what am I centered on, what, where's my hope and all these things. And I didn't mean to say it just came out and I've started to pray and it's been really powerful to me. I, want, it's, I got several statements for you. Number one today, I don't want to be the center of my own universe. I don't want to be that God. And I ask forgiveness because in my walk, honestly, like I've been so intensely focused on rest and recovery and being healthy for my family, for our church and all these things that somewhere along the line, I think I can easily drift into like, you know what, everything's about me, like where, what medicines and my recovery and how do I feel and, and, and I just, God, I don't want that. I don't wanna be the center of my own universe. That's not the life, y'all, right? I think all of us maybe have an ability or an inclination to kind of drift into making myself the center and it's ugly, right? I had to get on um, one of my kids a couple years ago back to basketball, but there was a game, and, and, this, and this, this one of my sons, I want 50-50 chance if you want to guess who which one was, one of my sons was having a bad game, and his body language was just bad and pouty and just not good. His team won the game by 40 points. Like, they're killing this other team, but my son is just not making shots and he comes off the floor with an attitude and his handshake line isn't good. And I was, we had an intense conversation of like, what are you saying? Right? It's all about you. Like your team is winning by 40, but you're having a bad game. Right? It's not about, it's a team sport. Right? This life that we're living is a team sport. It's not all about what's going on with me. It's not all about what's going on with you. We don't want to live in the center of our own universe. You don't want that. That's not the life. It's a team sport. We're a gospel center forever focused multi-ethnic movement. You know what'll kill a multi-ethnic church in a heartbeat? It's people living at the center of their own universe, right? That'll kill it, right? We won't have a chance if that's what we step into. Number two, we're not designed to be the center of our own universe. So if you're trying to live that life, you're working against how you were created. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. You were designed by a designer. He is the creator and he made you. He made you unique and specific. You are uh, an image bearer of God and he did not make you to be the center of your own universe. 
I really believe that a lot of our issues culturally, societally, and, and just our own health are a result of us trying to live as the center of our own universe. It's not natural. It's not, it's not good. It's not, it's, there's an emptiness to trying to live as the center of your own universe. Let me go to 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. I love these two verses. It says, for Christ's love compels us. We're convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And Jesus died for all, that those who live should what? No longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So there's this, because of what Jesus accomplished for us, the incredible news of our rescue and adoption, because of what he's done for us, like we now don't live for ourselves, but instead we live for him. And it's motivated by the love of Christ. We'll come back to that in a second, but I um, read this this week that if Jesus is who he claimed to be and did what he claimed to do, if he was God in a human body, if he loved us so much and he took our sins and he rescued and adopted us, if that's true, we have two options with our life. One, we can worship him, he rose from the dead, and we can center him. Or two, uh, we can deny him and center life on something else, ourselves or a ton of other things. Is that oversimplification? Like that's pretty much what you can do. You can either bow down like we just sang and confess that, that there is one, there's God in, in human form. His name was Jesus. He came. He loved. He conquered death. He validated everything. He's the only one to ever do that. And if he did, then we got to worship him. And it doesn't make any, what could we put at the center of our lives instead of him? You know, we're on this reading plan. I was really encouraged last week that we had these uh, bookmarks that we were giving out. It's a reading plan. through. We're really getting to know Jesus in the last week of his life together as a church. There's a section to read every day leading up to get us ready mentally and spiritually for Easter. Um, and we had like 150 of these made. And there was, I counted this morning, there was eight left, right? So I was like, man, people really wanted those bookmarks. Then I found out later, my wife was out there making people take them, right? But... <laughs> That's okay, that counts too, that works too. So you got one. Uh, if you don't, uh, there's only a few left if you didn't get one, but there is, you can print your own off the website, all of the information on what to read, what day. If you're behind, it's real short sections each day. You can catch up this week, join us, because what we're doing is we're just getting to know Jesus and what he said and what he did in this horrific last week of his life um, through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if we'll go back to the verse, Corinthians, as we as we get to know Jesus, and this week was rough. If you're reading with us, this just, he's in this horrible place in the garden. He's emotionally overcome, and he's crying out to God, Jesus is. And the, the source of that is love. So that's, what, that's, what's, that's what's motivating us as a church. That's the core of your faith if you call yourself a Christian. That's why I love this verse. It's Christ's love compels us. The pushing force in us living for him, not for us, is the love of Jesus. It's not guilt. It's not shame. It's not living up. It's not pressure. It's none of that. The, the compelling force is that Jesus loved us so much. As we dive into Jesus' last week of his life and what he went through and why he went through it, 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 it just, it's overwhelming to be loved by Jesus so personally. To know what he did on the cross had to do with me and my sin. Right? And that he defeated death, and that, has to, that matters to me when my death day comes. And I'm compelled by the love of Christ to what? To live for him and, and not for me. And let's just, let's just be real. All right? We, we talk all the time. Sometimes I say it for shock value just to get people's attention because I'm like that. But I say, you know, you've heard, if you've been around Relentless, you've heard me say a bunch of times, believing in God ain't worth much. 
We're not about that. That doesn't do much for you. Believing in God is kind of worthless. If that's, I believe there is a God. If that's where you're at, like you're in the right place, but that's not what God designed you to do is just to believe in him. Let's make sure we understand the difference between that verse. We'll go back to Corinthians 5. Um, the difference between I'm living for, I'm sacrificing me, I'm taking myself out of the center, I'm revolving my life, I'm living for the Jesus who died and rose again, I'm living for him and he's living through me and with him. The difference between that and hey, I believe there's a God. That's not a Christian, it's not somebody who believes in God. It's somebody who is living in partnership with Jesus. Those are two completely different lives. Freedom comes from living through Jesus. We, we, we so often can believe the lie that freedom comes from putting ourselves in the center of our own lives. I get to do what I want. I'm at the center. I'm in control. It's such a lie from hell, right? That's not true. Real freedom comes from I sacrifice my life. I'm going to live for Jesus, with Jesus, in partnership with Jesus. That's where safety and protection and beauty and intimacy and true freedom Come from, comes from, and many people decide not to. Paul spoke pretty bluntly about, he calls people, some people are enemies of the cross of Christ. Check this out in Philippians 3. Paul says, I've often told you before to the church in Philippi, he says, I tell you again, now even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a strong verse 19. Their destiny is destruction and their God is their stomach. What is that talking about? Their God is their stomach. It means they're self-centered. I'm hungry, I need to fill this appetite. And it's not just about food. It's talking about people whose whole life is centered about getting what they, I'm getting mine, right? I'm centered on what I want, what I need. And the problem with eating a meal today is, is it doesn't do you any good on Tuesday. You eat lunch today, you're going to be really hungry if you don't. You have to keep feeding that appetite. So this is people who their God, their whole worldview is based on getting my own appetites filled, whether that's physical, sexual, financial, whatever. And they're never satisfied. Their God is their, stom- is their stomach, their glory is in their shame. They're never satisfied, it never lasts. There's a relationship that you were created for, a real relationship with Jesus that actually does satisfy your soul. It's the living water he talked about that you don't have to, like it's, it's continuous and it satisfies. Um, a preacher named John Piper made a famous statement years ago. He said, God is most glorified when I am most satisfied in him. Right, our satisfaction comes from knowing Jesus. If you don't know Jesus and you just believe in him, you're missing on the satisfaction of him being the center of your life. He can, he can, he can, he can hold up the weight of, of being the center of your life, right? We can't. That's why, that's why the statement is, um, I wasn't designed to be the center. When you try to be the center of your own life, like you just, you're not important enough. You can't, you can't, you can't hold the weight of that place in your own life. If, if you live your whole life and make yourself the center, it's so empty and it gets so dark because you weren't designed. You're not important enough. You're not holy enough. You're not powerful enough. You're not any of those things to hold that spot. And it doesn't satisfy. That's why the world's so broken because all the things we can put at the center, you see it, evidence of it every day. It doesn't satisfy souls. What satisfies your soul is when you live with him at the center and you bring glory to him. I'm God's most glorified when I'm most satisfied. All right, there's two lives we can live, one with ourselves in control, other with him in control. And I use the example of 
of driving the car. Who's driving the car of your life? Be honest with yourself. Like, who's behind the wheel? I got to be honest with you, parents. Nobody told me. Like, this is crazy. Like, some of you get emotional. I was never that dad. Like, when we sent them to kindergarten, like, that wasn't emotional. When they became teenagers, like, it was good. Like, we celebrated it, all these different birthdays and all these, you know, when they walk and when they talk and all the stuff is great. But when they start driving, I'm telling you, it's, it's a, it's, I'm, I'm a mess. It's completely different, right? And when I'm teaching them to drive, like I don't have one of those driver's ed cars where they got the pedals. Like I'm in the passenger seat and I'm coaching them through it. But if they want to turn into a building, like I got no power, like I can yell, but it's too late, right? And we haven't hit any buildings yet, praise God, right? But, but, the, but the helplessness of like he or she is got their foot on the pedals, hopefully, one foot, not two foot drivers, right? And they're turning in other cars and I'm, I, we're, we're just so like out of control, right? Do you trust Jesus enough to give him the keys to walk around, to sit in the path, knowing where he takes you is completely out of your control, right? Who's at the center comes to who's driving and that comes into decisions. We talked about decisions last week that we make and who's, who's in the center of that. Here's the hardest statement of the day, number three. It will be difficult for me to realize that I'm the center of my own universe, right? I'll probably, if I'm living life with me as the center of my universe, I'll probably be the last to realize it. Now, the people that know me the best and love me the best, they'll know it all day. But it's very hard to be honest enough with yourself to realize I'm living my life as myself the most important thing. Now, there's some clues that we can give you Uh, Often when you're the center of your own universe, uh, you have a lack of gratitude. You have a lack of expressed and spoken gratitude. You may be grateful. You just don't bother to tell anybody that you're grateful for them. Uh, It comes with some some words, right? My and deserve are some of your favorite words. That's my, I should, I get, I deserve, whatever. Um, Your feelings, opinions, and needs are top priority. You love to say things like, I think. Because that's how you, I think this, here's how I view, my perspective trumps everything else. You don't lean on your, you you do lean on your own understanding as we talked about last week. I think it can come with some entitlement. When I'm the center of my own universe, then I feel like I'm entitled for certain things to happen to me or for me, right? And we we try, as, as you guys, you know, it's ugly. You try to raise your kids to not be entitled kids, right? My kids are awesome, but sometimes I sniff out some entitlement and it, you know, and I think I'm entitled to not have entitled kids, right? So then I got to deal with that. Uh, but I had a conversation this week. We were, uh, we had seen um, Creed three. We were leaving. It had been fun. I hadn't got to do many dad things like that with my health. And it was just, we were driving and um, with two of my kids. And um, I was asking uh, one of my sons, um, again, you can 50-50, which one? I was asking one of my sons, hey, I, you got to be hungry, right? Yeah. So you want me to run you by the house before you go to the gym so you can, mom said we got leftover. She had made, my wife on uh, Thursday of last week had made this baked potato bar. So she'd made baked potatoes, but then all the fixings, right? The sour cream, the bacon bits, like chicken, different kinds of chicken, all this stuff. I said, son, you want me to run you by the house? You can get, you can eat leftover baked potatoes real quick. And then, so you're not, you know, hungry the whole time at the gym. And my son, who will remain nameless said, no, I'm not eating baked potatoes. He said, and it's a quote, I'd have to be on the brink. <laughs> he said, I have to be on the brink to eat leftover baked potatoes. 
So you don't know anything about the brink. You've never been anywhere close to the brink, right? But that's, that's what he said. He'd, he'd rather go hungry and just not eat than have to lower himself to eating leftover baked potatoes. Now, that doesn't mean that he's the center of his own universe, right? It's just there's red flags, right? Um, I'm coming from, hey, when someone cooks you a meal, um, you eat it till it's gone and you're thankful for it, right? If it's not your favorite, that's irrelevant, right? Um, but it's so easy. It's not, it's not, again, not a bad kid. It's real easy for us to, with food, with money, with how we spend our time, with how we serve, when Joy does the announcement about with love for Jesus, it's real easy just to get in a place where I don't have time for that because I got time. We make time for ourselves first. Nobody has to teach us that. Sometimes we avoid pain, right? We don't want to deal with hurting people because we don't want to, we want to avoid pain. Like, I don't want to go to the love from Jesus and see these people that are just struggling. I don't like, I don't like that, right? Well, God has a heart for them. If he's the center, you have a heart for them, but it's sometimes it's easier not to. Um, you'll be hearing more in the coming weeks. We, we've done a poor job of talking about our commitment and connection with Honduras um, because they shut down with the pandemic, so we didn't get to send a group um, but we sponsor a bunch of kids in Honduras as a church. You'll be hearing more of the details about that um, in the coming uh, weeks. But one of the reasons we sponsor kids through an organization called Compassion um, is good for us as a family to sponsor these kids. Um, and remember, there's people that are hurting and we're able to change their lives with a small amount of money a month. So we started doing something just to help ourselves and help our own perspective as a family. I don't know what it's like for you. On, uh, on Sunday afternoons. You guys are nine o'clock people, so you got some time before lunch. But um, for us, we, we almost always um, eat out on Sundays. And when I say eat out, I don't mean go sit down somewhere. I mean drive through somewhere, right? Don't judge. That's, that's kind of what we've done. Uh, and we look forward to that on Sunday afternoons. Now, my diet has changed in all of this. Y'all know that I hadn't had uh, caffeine for over a month. Right? And I, have, I had two Dr. Peppers this calendar year, but none since January, um, and it's been, it's been good for me. But anyway, um, we decided, hey, why don't we take the first Sunday of every month and not spend the money? You guys, you know, we spend as a church, we spend a fortune. You know, we're dreaming and praying and having a goal about sometimes owning our own building. I think if we just stop eating out, we can build a building, all right? <laughs> Um, but we said, hey, let's take the first Sunday of every month as a family and not eat out, either cook or go to the grocery store and get the meals there and, and, and then um, do that in, in thinking about our three kids that we support in Compassion. We have one kid in the Philippines and then two in La Ceiba, Honduras. And then we, um, you know, to help support the money, you know, the money we save by not eating out goes to pay that uh, money that we send to them each month. And then we write letters to them, which they, they love. We've talked to Compassion. Like, it's the best thing ever when they get those letters. So my kids will, you know, different one. You can do it all on the computer, and it's, we pray for them and all this. Now you think, man, Pastor, what, what, what an what a awesome family. What a great idea. Stop. I didn't think any of that. I stole it from Raph, right? Raph, Raph told me that they did that. I was like, hey, we're going to copy y'all, and we're going to do that. Why do we do that? Um, because it helps us have perspectives, rather right, outside of ourselves. We've got to get our kids to to think outside of ourselves. Because if you don't, all of us, not just kids, adults, our natural default is gonna be back to trying to step into the being the center of our own universe. Right, well, you, sometimes we can ask, you know, if Jesus is the center, like what do I, what do I and I'm, I'm supposed to be giving him my life, like what do I have to offer? 
right? And thankfully, we have a lot of evidence that that's not, that's not, a, that's not the issue, right? There's a story in John 6. Uh, Jesus was out, way out in the country um, with his disciples, and all the people came to them. The, the word was spreading. There's this guy who talks different, preaches different, heals people. So this multitude of people, thousands of people, you imagine, came out, right? And it's far away from, like, where food is sold and and somebody starts to get worried of like, what are we going to do? We got to send them home, Jesus, because they're not going to have time to eat. And Jesus said, we'll feed them. And they're like, they go to the money. That John 6 says it would take half a year's wages. All right, so half a year's wages. So what, you, what it takes you six months to make, that's how much it would cost to feed all these people. Like, we don't have that, Jesus. And he said, well, what do we have? And they found a little kid, and he had five loaves and two fish, right? And... We could rank Jesus' miracles. This might be his coolest, right? He's bring it. He's got five loaves and two fish. I don't know what kind of fish. I'm thinking salmon, but I don't know. It could be halibut, but it's probably salmon. All right, and he starts, I don't know what he starts doing. He starts cutting it or tearing it and passing it out. And miraculously, he multiplies it like it's a, it's a magic trick of all magic tricks. He doesn't like do, woo, you know, abracadabra. He just keeps passing it out and it just keeps going. This is, this is, Probably 10,000 people. It tells us there's 5,000 men. If you count the women and children, 10,000 plus people. So this is Red Hat Amphitheater filled up twice on this huge green. They sit, sits them all down, and they take five loaves of bread and two fish and just keeps passing it out. And it says everybody was full, and they had leftovers because Jesus is pro-leftovers. Don't be, you're not too good for leftovers because Jesus is all about it, all right? So... They didn't have enough food to feed them, and Jesus like, bring me what you got. What's the point? It's not about you. It's not about your gifts, your talents, right? It's about Jesus being in the center of your life and you trusting him with whatever he has given you. Maybe it's a bunch of fish, maybe it's not much, but he can multiply it. Here's the bottom line. It's not about, our lives are not, hey, God, look what I did. It's about, look what God is doing. Those are two completely different things. If it's look what I did, then I'm spotlighted. I'm centered on that. We don't want to center ourselves. I don't want to live a life where it brings glory to me, right? When my, when my last day on this earth comes, I hope the story is his life brought glory to God. Look what God did with his two fish and five loaves. I gave him what I had. I don't care what you have. Just give it to him and see what he can do with your life. But it takes him being the center. And if he's not the center... If you're the center of your own life, you might be the last person to realize that, right? What do you wake up thinking about? That's a quick way, right? If, if the first thing you do when your eyes open is to grab that phone and check TikTok or whatever, if the first thing you think about every morning is blank, then that probably is the center of your universe, right? We, we, we so easily default to just self-centeredness. That's not the life. Number four statement. I make it difficult to hear from God when I'm the center of my own universe. We're closing this series today. The God who still speaks, right? So, so if you're trying, and we've really been excited with some of the stuff we've heard. Some of you have heard from God this month, in the last month. Some of you are hearing through you know, scripture and, and, and the spirit who speaks through prayer, through people, through circumstances. It's been really powerful. Some of you are stepping into that. It's really difficult to hear God speak to you if you're the center 
of your own universe. Why? Think about it. If I'm the center of my own universe, then I want God to speak to me and do this for me, and I'm going to hear everything for my own glory. I'm hearing from the perspective of how can you make my life what I want it to be, or how can you do what I want you to do? If that's how I'm hearing from God, like he works for me, right? And he's coming from, he's speaking for his glory. The reason he speaks to us so that we'll trust him and we bring him glory. So if I'm hearing for my glory and he's speaking for his glory, both of those things can't work. We both can't be at the center. Me and God both cannot be the center of my life. So it gets really hard to hear if I'm the center of my life. Here's a kind of a famous verse that's quoted a lot about about hearing from God and about God working no matter what. Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. That's his people, that's us, right? And here's a statement we like to say, we've said this a lot. God is working for you, but God doesn't work for you, right? So the verse says God is working. He is working on your behalf. He's working for your good, but he does not work for you. He is not your employee, right? He is not a genie that you tell what to do, right? So there's a difference there. Because if you think God works for you, it's going to be very difficult for you to hear from him. You're going to be very frustrated. He's like, why won't he do what I'm telling him what to do? And you can come to him with anything. That's good. Keep doing that. But if you're telling him what to do, he's he's God. And you're not. And I'm not. We read, uh, go back to uh, 828. That's a very well-known verse. God's working all things for the good of those who love him. But sometimes we don't connect it to verse 29. There's a verse that comes after it that's very important. It says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he called and justified and glorified. So it's connected to being conformed to the image of his son. So when he's working all things out for the good of those who love him, what's that look like? It's us being changed, conformed into Jesus, Jesus forming himself in us. Next verse, 31. What then shall we say in response to this? What do we do with it? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? See, he'll give us whatever we want. That's what it says. That's not what it says. It's connected to the God who's working out everything for the good. And what's he trying to do? He's trying to change us into be more Christ-like. And in that, we need to be reminded God is for us, not against us. If he gave up Jesus, as we read through this reading plan, it's horrific what Jesus went through. And God wanted that. That's how much he loves us. If he did that for us, how will he not also graciously give us all things. What is all things? Is that whatever we want? No, it's within his will. We talked about the desires of our heart last week. In this season, in this journey that I've been on, um, as God's been teaching me that I can drift right back into being the center of my own universe, I feel like my prayer has been, God, I just want you to make me feel better because that's what's best for me. Is that so wrong just to ask, God, don't you want, Jesus, don't you want what's best for me? Don't you want what's best for me? Don't you want, you know, I just want you to fix this and make it go away. Don't you want what's best for me? And Jesus has whispered to me, no, I I don't always want what's best for you. I want what's best for me, right? And sometimes those things are not the same. What what he wants is what's going to bring him the most glory, what's going to make people bow down and love and worship him and come to him, what's going to uplift and center him. That's what he wants. And I'm like, well, 
I think I know, like I'm gonna tell people that you, you know, I'm gonna give you all the credit. And God has started to move me from just make it go away to, God, what are you up to? What are you trying to accomplish in me? How do you wanna use this? Because it's about that conform to the image of his son. How, how are you making me more like yourself in this process of, of healing? I've told you from the get-go, Romans 5 has been um, the most important scripture in my walk and my recovery, and it's very relevant, right? And I've memorized this, so I pray this a lot, that we hope in the glory of God. Uh, not only the hope of the glory of God, but we also glory in our suffering, because suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character leads to hope, and hope does not put us to shame, right? I don't think I understand. I'm still just now learning what that verse means. I've been dwelling and praying and thinking about Romans 5 for four months, and I really, I really didn't get it. I don't get the connection between suffering. I get suffering and endurance. I don't get the connection between suffering and character. Like, what's that? I don't get James 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of all kinds. Count it joy. That sounds great. But I don't count it joy when I'm suffering. It's not joyful. Right? How can you count it joy? I think the reason I don't get it is because I didn't understand the connection between suffering, and it could be big suffering or little suffering, doesn't matter what. I didn't understand the connection between suffering and character. Because here's what's happening. When you're suffering, you're dependent. You need God in a different kind of way. You're crying out to him. When you're going through stuff that you wish you weren't, God has an opening to do stuff in your character that he doesn't normally have because he has your attention, right? So part of what he's doing in my character, right? He's not punishing me. Part of what he's highlighting is David Jones. You don't wanna live as the center of your own universe. The most important thing in the world or relentless church or your family is not your health and your weekly update. It's not, you, you don't wanna live like the world revolves around how you're feeling physically and what, what symptoms you have or don't have. You don't, there's emptiness in that. So he's working on my character as, as attached to the suffering. And he's building character in me that I would have not probably gotten built in any other way. And if you really understand that God is changing us to be more like Jesus, you talk about suffering, he wrote the book on how to suffer. Right, so I'm becoming a different man. He's conforming me to the image of his son. So then you can count it all joy because I'm gonna be a different person that I might not have ever been without and I never wanna drift back into, which I think I have. Even in my sabbatical, it was like, hey, in my sabbatical, what, 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 do, you wanna, what do you wanna tell me? What do you wanna speak to me? What do you wanna speak to me? It was, it was, some of my sabbatical was about me, right? And it's, it's, it's not about you. It's never about you. It's just, it's about learning to hear from me, but you can't hear from me if it's all about you. So I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit maybe highlights even this morning some ways that you're maybe drifting into trying to be the center of your own universe. You don't want that. And it's not that you have to go through hard stuff to build character. I love this quote. It's not that problems attract power. It's that problems invite the surrender that attracts power, right? It's not the problems that get you powerful. It's surrender that leads to power, and surrender often comes when you're struggling, when you're suffering, and when you don't know where God's doing, he'll speak. But you're not gonna hear him if you're all about you. Last point, I gave you four statements. Here's number five. That's how I wanna close the series. You're doing better than you think you are. Somebody needs to hear that. One, listen, you're here. You're here on a rainy, snowy, sleety, losing hour of sleep March Sunday, right? You've been here for this series. That's a big deal. 
right? And we've learned from it. You're doing better. Some of you have put this into practice. The first week we talked about what kind of dad doesn't talk to his kids. God's a good father. He wants to speak to you. You've got to anticipate and believe that he has something to say to your life. His sheep hear his voice. The second week we, we introduced the how, the, the acronym, the the, through the scripture, through the spirit, through the people, through circumstances. Third week, Raph walked us through how we got to quiet the noise to hear from God, right? And then last week, we talked about trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your understanding, acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will make your path straight, right? Now we've closed this today with, I'm not going to hear well from him if I'm the center of my own universe. There's, none, there's no guilt or shame in this. This is a process Right? Some of you, some of you are going to beat yourselves up because I know some of you. Some of you are going to, oh man, I'm the center of my own universe. I'm blowing it. I'm messing. Like, stop. Right? Pick your head up. Some of you are so down on yourselves. Hey, I had to confess the same sin again this week. Did you hear what you just said? You had to, you did though. You confessed the same sin. Right? That's a humble. God will never turn down a humble heart. You continue to confess because your, your, your heart is humble. Right? God sees that and God rewards that and God knows that. I was talking to my team this week as we have this big tournament and just we're talking about some of them just have such a bad conversation in their heads. Why are you so down on yourself? And so one, one player said, hey, when I mess up, I don't want anybody to encourage me. I, don't, I just don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear that. I'm just because I'm, I don't want to, it just makes me mad when you try to like lift me up. It just makes me mad because I'm already, I'm already down on myself and I don't want to hear it, Right. Sometimes we do that spiritually. Some of you, you say, yeah, I'm really hard on myself. And you say it like it's a badge. Like you say it like, I'm really hard on myself. Like that's a good character trait. Like, yeah, I'm really hard on myself. I'm a perfectionist. Listen, that's, that's a problem with Jesus, right? That's religion. That's performance. That's not relationship. That's not grace. That's not gospel. Quit being so hard on yourself. Some of you are hearing from God more than you ever have, right? Some of you are like, well, I don't know. I think I might be the center of my universe. Well, that's good if you can admit that. But that's not what I see in our church. You guys are, you guys are so generous, right? Um, you don't give online like you guys give online or give, you don't do that. If you're the center of your own life, then you hoard every penny and every dollar that you can, right? I see us serving the community in different ways. I see us serving each other in a way that we, we never have as a church. I see us praying for each other in a way that we never have as a church. We're giving up control. We're growing in trust. So pick your head up. Right, God's working among you and in us. So don't leave here thinking, man, I'm blowing it. You're not. Let's rely on God. Let's grow. Let's keep depending on him. Let's make him the center, not just of our lives, but of our church. That's what's so beautiful about becoming a praying church because prayer is this most humble. Prayer is saying, I need help that I don't have access to in myself. It's the humble act of, I need to talk to you, God, even though you know everything, but I need to verbalize this because I need you to act. And you will graciously give us all things. And it's okay to pray prayers that are about your life. That doesn't make you self-centered, right? You pray prayers about your life. That's part of what we do. And he, we trust him to give what he gives when he gives. We trust him because he's at the center. Some of you, the way you're raising your kids, you're sacrificing so, well, so much, you know, time-wise, energy. Like some of you... You're so selfless. Your kids are going to be so blessed when they're adults because of all that you're putting into. Like, hang in there. Keep your head up. You're doing better than you think you are. Single parents in our church, like, there's so much. Like, we're with you. Like, keep your head up. You're doing better than you think you are. If he's at the center, you can take a deep breath 
and take some solace in that. I want to close with a song today, same song we already sang, but it may be real quiet in here after this message, I don't know, because these are hard words to sing. All right, I want you to either pray if you can't sing this, but if you mean this and you want this, maybe today is the prayer of shifting for you from like, God, I think I'm drifting into, I think if I study my schedule, my finances, my relationships, what I spend my mental energy on, I think I'm, I think I'm kind of sliding into being the center of my own life. I don't want that. Maybe that's why some of the emptiness is you, you feel, right? Where, where does satisfaction come? It's taking myself out of the center. I am not weighty enough to center my whole life around, right? I want him to be the center and you do too. All right, so we're gonna sing that. Worship team's gonna come up and lead us through that before we go. If you'll stand with me, let me pray. Father, we thank you for these lives that you've given us. And God, thank you for choice and, and free will. Thank you that we can decide to center our lives on anything we want. Um, and it's such an act of worship, God, if we choose to trust you to be the center. That we can actually, as this song says, that we can let everything revolve around you. Jesus, thank you that you can handle that weight, that you're good enough and big enough and awesome enough and grand enough um, to be able to hold that place as the center of everything. God, we thank you for the beautiful verse in Colossians that Jesus, that all things are from him and by him and for him and through him, that he, he, can, he can withstand the pressure of being the center of everything. God, I pray that as we just say the amazing name of Jesus, as we sing it here together, that you will work in this room, that you will help us mean the words of this song, that we will place you, Jesus, at the center of our hearts, our lives, and of our church. It's in Jesus' name we sing. Amen. It was, it was nice to kind of be on worship team. I had my mic off. I didn't want to ruin anybody's day, but they don't, they won't, I've been trying for nine years to be on the worship team. They won't let me, but I was kind of, I was kind of singing with y'all. Um, thank y'all for, for leading us. Um, as we go, I want to remind you there's communion over here. Um, if you'd like to take, it's a great way to center Jesus in your week. I'd also remind you of our reading plan. It's on our website. You can print your own bookmark if they're gone, or you can uh, do it however you like. But uh, we're just getting to it's the power and reading about Jesus' life together. So join us in that. Also, remind you, with love from Jesus, we commit to serve the third Saturday of each month. That's this Saturday. So go online, sign up so we can be excited that you're going to help us out. There's a lot of ways. And just uh, have a great week. Thanks for being here.